Hello there and welcome to the Whole Healed Holy Podcast, a place for conversations of the heart, for exploring healing, divinity, and all things sacred. I'm your host, Patricia Russo. I'm a mystic, muse, and spiritual teacher, guiding women into their hearts with a journey of softening. I'm a published poet, a lover of hearts, and a forever student. Welcome, love, to a sacred pause and hopefully a few tingles, and to a reminder that we are all whole, healed, and holy. I'm so happy you are here. Let's slip into today's episode. My guest lost her mother when she was 10, and in a recent post on social media, she shared the following honoring her mother. She was brave beyond measure with an asymmetrical bleach blonde haircut, dancing wildly to the smashing pumpkins in our kitchen and working inside a men's maximum security facility. She reveled in storytelling on stage, on screen, and on the pages of books. She woke up before the sun to drink espresso in silence with the company of whatever book she was reading. She could talk for hours or listen for hours. She excelled at both. She wore odd socks and odd earrings. Nothing matched and she loved this. She taught me about the world and being brave. And on her deathbed shared that she didn't have much money, but what she did have, I should take it and travel with it. It would be the best education I would ever get. I did that and I continue to do that. Nothing lasts forever, but for me, she has lasted forever in memories and in the ways we keep her alive, in coffees, peanut M&Ms, and stories. Playful, honest, curious, Nikki Weaver is an innovative creator and passionate communicator, driven by a desire to understand other points of view. She brings a deep sense of listening, curiosity, and an open heart to any team she is part of. She believes in empowering women through connection to our bodies, each other, and our spirits. After losing her mother at the age of 10 and moving to Australia 10 days later, Nikki began to look for her mother in other women. This body of work stems from her mother's work of working with incarcerated men in the state of California. Nikki holds a BFA from the Australian Academy of Dramatic Arts and an MFA from George Washington University and the Shakespeare Theater. Her toolbox is filled with being a yoga teacher, a massage therapist, Reiki practitioner, meditator, a mom of two wild girls, and a partner that surprises her every day. She has facilitated circles for ages four to 80 years old, offering mindfulness and creativity practices. Nikki loves to stand on her head, running at sunrise. She has 23 marathons uh, uh, under her her belt, (laughs) getting creative with her kids and family and creating national and international wellness retreats. To be on the inside in circle with women has been the biggest gift of her life. It is where all the walls come down. It is so beautiful. Thank you so much for being here and welcome. Thank you. Uh, I sort of feel like I should fart at the end of that introduction to just send things off with a bang. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just did it. That's perfect. That's perfect. Just infuse a little bit of your personality right off the start. And I just love that. (laughs) I can feel your mother Penny's influence in your life and with your work. I think maybe anybody who's, who's watching you or who kind of comes into your energy field can probably says that and the work that you do and the service that you do. And it's certainly like in the post that I just shared, which you shared, I think um, last week, it it would have been her 81st birthday, I think, if I read that correctly. Um, And then in your bio, um, giving tribute kind of to the, the work that you do. 
Can we start here, please? Like, it, it's not every day that you hear that, that of a woman working inside a men's maximum security facility. So that gives her, like, we, we can draw some connotations about that, um, just learning that fact. Mm. What, what was this like for your mother? And it sounds, it does sound brave beyond measure for sure. Can we start here with this thing that the two of you have in common and just like honor her a little bit with regard to how, um, yeah, how she's influenced you and the woman that she was? Yeah. Uh, what a, what a beautiful way to start, to start from the past, uh, from my mother, uh, and to walk forward into the future. So, you know, it, my mom, one of the things that I remember is that she was uncanny in her humor and her um, ability to move through worlds. Um, and that is something that I just remember witnessing with a lot of embarrassment as a child of how she would do that. Um, and the days when I didn't have school, um, I would go with her to the prison facility. And I have this one memory of sitting on the floor and we'd have this big argument in the car there because she wanted to take my uh, VHS of Bambi. If you're old enough listening to this and remember videos, and I was reluctant to share it, but uh, what she wanted to do was share the moment where Bambi loses his mom. And I was sitting on the floor coloring and it was back in the day when she would wear the pager on her hip instead of the mirrored wall behind her. Um, and what I heard first were sounds in the room and I stopped drawing i just i don't remember much more beyond this moment but i heard a man cry and it wasn't just one man it was more than that it was a room full of men that started weeping at different moments and my mom beginning to facilitate this conversation around loss and parental loss and it still gets me to this day i feel emotional thinking about it because that full circle moment is then i lost her um but in that moment I recognized, and it's something that I think about the work that I do, is she changed the energy in the room. And it happened in a nanosecond, really from the film, yes, but then the conversation that followed. And um, it was just a, a tiny moment that I often come back to. And um, so she is somebody that I think I like watched, stared at, was mesmerized and also um, embarrassed by, as I said, <laughs> because she was outrageous in her dress, um, in her joy, in her dancing around the kitchen to smashing pumpkins too. I, I remember wanting her to stay in the car when she would drop me at school because she would be too much if she got out. And, you know, I think because she was so much of an only child, I was the observant watchful listening child that stood against the wall and watched as the adults and her you know moved around me i remember a lot of that but um because of who she is it's definitely impacted the work that i've done and i think many suppressed memories trauma things that i didn't begin to process till i got to my 20s it took a woman who's serving a life sentence um in oregon to sort of point it out to me in a circle one day. And she said, you know, Nikki, it, it's not a mistake that you're sitting in this room. Your mother is very much here. And um, that was truth, like utter truth that, uh, yeah, she saw it. And I felt it immediately when she said it. Wow. Yeah. What a powerful memory to have um, of your mother and for all of us listening um, to just be taken into this room where you have grown men who we we all can kind of stereotype considering where they are and this mm. softness that she brought into the space and the power of the feminine to shift the energy in any space um, so quickly, like you said, in a nanosecond, like how there was something in her and something about her, this incredible wisdom and foresight that she had um, to know mm -hmm. that that could happen, like, and, and mm -hmm. to facilitate that. It's really remarkable. Yeah. Really, really remarkable. I can feel it in my entire nervous system, um, mm -hmm. potentially the healing that happened in that moment. Um, right, right. And I have letters from these men that they wrote to her after they found out she had passed on. And some of my colleagues to this day say, Nikki, we have to track down those men that she touched, that she changed and find out what happened to them or, you know, connect to them through their children or grandchildren. So. 
I've not done that yet. I've not been ready to do that, but but maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it would be really interesting. That's the the big question, right? Is like, could something that powerful and that fast and that, that, that beautiful make such a significant change to alter kind of injury of somebody's life? Yeah. And I, and that's a great segue to my next question about this project of yours, which is what, like when I first, and I love the magic portal of Instagram because this is how I found you. And I was, was investigating that as I always do, like how besides divine intervention, which I fully trust and love, um, that guided, that always guides me to the perfect, um, energy. I feel like we have some really significant friends in common. And so I, Bless the algorithm. <laughs> that kind of connects us with my energy. Um, but when I found you and I started to look at this project on the inside that you are the founder of and facilitating, I was just, <gasps> it's, it's really powerful, 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 um, equally powerful, I think, as the story you just shared with what your mother did. How did On the Inside come to be? Can you tell us the story of how you founded this work and what it is today? Um, I'd love to start there. And I really want to spend most of our conversation deepening in with what your experience is, which I imagine is similar to your mother's with this foresight that you have. And maybe it was this inspiration that you got as a young girl um, watching your mother make such a big change that that you just kind of got naturally and maybe this is this is a little bit of what you do but can you tell us how this how the how the project came to be um and what on the inside is exactly what it is today yeah definitely um i'll I'll rewind in time and say that it began in 2018, sitting in sort of a a circle of many other theater artists, directors and teachers and um, sort of people sharing their different jobs and careers and what they were sort of wanting to create in the world. And um, a woman named Carla Grant said, oh, my husband and I, Don, run open hearts, open minds, and we teach theater in correctional settings. And I, it was a, a circle of 20 or 30 artists. And I said, oh, my mom used to do similar work. And people that have known me for years sort of said, what? You've never, ever shared that. And we've known you a long time. So that was, I would say, the beginning of something unwinding for me. And uh, I I connected with Carla later and said, you know, I think I'd, I'd like to come with you to whatever it is that you do. And so I went with her on a Friday evening, 6 to 9 p.m. class. And when we left, um, something had shifted for me. And I remember sitting inside that circle of women inmates and thinking that this is the most honest conversation I've had in years mm-hmm. because these women are sitting behind bars, but the walls have been stripped down internally and externally because they've lost everything. And so they're processing grief and you know addiction and they're going through treatment and they're homeless or their family is selling their home. Um, to, to pay for lives that they can no longer support. So, so there was something about the conversation that happened in the room that made me think I have to come back here. Um, and it turned into sort of a one-off into to a six-month project, which became Twelfth Night. Um, and it was the first Shakespeare production at this facility, Coffee Creek Correctional Facility, the minimum side had ever performed. Um, and we did two shows of it, one for inside audiences a number of times, and then a second showing for their family and friends and children. And what I remember was witnessing the women's children see their mothers as successful leaders, artists, singing and dancing, grandparents, mothers. But there was something about witnessing the connection to the mother and child as I stood from the back where they got to see them in a role that they were successful at. It was incredibly moving and deeply healing, both for me as a witness and watching it through the family lines. Um, And then that shifted to Carla and Dawn saying, we'll do more. We don't have the bandwidth, but maybe you should do your solo show on the media maximum side here. So this prison in Oregon is separated into two sides, a minimum and a media maximum um, and it served 1600 women in the state and I said oh okay I'll, I'll do that show and I was, had been working on this piece called weaving women together a story of losing my mother and how I have found her and other women 
And it's, uh, I started as a magical skirt that was assembled by 65 other women's pieces of fabric that they mailed to me. And uh, with a story or a poem or a letter about where this piece of fabric had come from and why they had held on to it in their lives. And I had a friend that made this gorgeous skirt that was longer than a football field because what was important to me was that every piece, scrap of fabric that was sent would somehow be woven into the skirt, not cut away, even if you couldn't see it. So because I'm a small frame, in order for it to stay up, it was wrapped around me three and a half times. So just wearing it without moving, I just dripped with sweat. (laughs) So then add to me walking into the media maximum facility, deciding I'd perform this piece. And I took my shoes off when we walked in. And as soon as we walked into the chapel, I just started dripping with sweat, thinking I've performed in many places, but I've never performed inside a women's prison. And um, I'm going to have to find a way to connect with these women in the first two minutes of doing this show or I'm going to die. And that felt very visceral to me. Um, So I stood up the back and I greeted every single woman as they came in to to see the show. And the piece is 90 minutes with original song and dance and uh, stories that my story of losing my mom. And uh, at the end, the women clapped and I took off the skirt and I threw it to the audience and we passed it around the audience. And what came out was a two hour conversation of women that had raised them or that had ripped them apart or that had loved on them or women that they had found inside facility that had become their family. And we talked and talked and talked until the caseworker kicked us out. And um, as we were leaving, I said to the caseworker, well, that's amazing. I, I definitely come back and, you know, teach here. And she sort of laughed and she said, do you know, you're the only performing art show that we've ever had in this facility. And we've been open since 2008. And this was 2019. And she said, we have plenty of programming, but we've never had an artist come in and do a show like this. So I said again, well, I'll be that artist. I'll, I'll teach. And um, she laughed and said, oh, the paperwork takes forever. And I, you know, got, got home and started the paperwork that night. And it was a six month process of figuring out how to do it. Um, but then once I started in 2019, I had a class that met on Sunday nights and we called it theater and poetry. And it started as a class of six. And it was really just the idea that stories might save us our own or somebody else's. And what I did is I created a folder of female poets from all over the world. And I tried to do some research and understand why they were writing this piece at this time. Um, And then what we did is we called what I call um, putting it on its feet. And we would pick a poem each night and we would read it together and talk about sort of what it meant to us or what we thought the writer was trying to convey. And then I would add some backstory And then we would get up on our feet and everybody would take two to four lines and we would move it in our bodies um, so that the piece became alive, not just in our mouths, but in our entire being. And then we would perform the piece in the order that it was written as a group um, in a circle. And then the challenge that I offered the women was, could they find a way to bring the entire poem alive for themselves for the following week? Wow. And so the second week when they came back, that entire circle of women stood in the center of the circle one by one and embodied these poems. And the first poem I started with, I think it's helpful to share, was a piece called For Light by John O'Donoghue. Um, and it's a two-page poem. And the women came back that second week and were able to recite the entire thing on their feet, in their bodies. Wow. And so something happened for me witnessing it where I understood really on a visceral level that these women are not in prison in this moment. They are somewhere else and they're free. And so that began this exploration where I just kept bringing in more poetry. And then they started telling me things that they wanted to read or learn or recite. Um, And then in 2019, that class of six had turned into a class of 35 and it, we were playing more with our own stories. And I asked the women if they wanted to start writing, singing, dancing, some of their own pieces. And so they did a piece in 2019 called True Colors, Stories from the Inside. And they sang some Cindy Lauper and they danced their butts off. And they shared 
some of the most revealing parts of themselves um, in story, in skit, in dance. And again, we did two nights and inside for in the chapel, that same chapel that I performed at was lined with about 15 lieutenants and over 150 women just on their feet, dancing and shrieking. Um, and the second night for family and friends in the visiting room. Um, and that was when the woman that I shared earlier had said, there's a reason you're sitting in the circle. Your mom is here. Her family came up to me and said, you know, she's serving life and whatever you're doing in that room, you have to do more of it. It's God's work. Mm. Um, and I had been inkling of like, what, what am I doing in this prison as a white woman who's really just walked into facility because it feels right. And maybe my mom did some of this work. Um, but I've always trusted it. And so I went home that night and said to my husband, I think I'm quitting my full-time job. (laughs) And I was the education director at our Playhouse, a theater company for 12 years. And I've been teaching this class as part of Portland Playhouse's education program. And so that really began the impetus of when I quit my full-time job in June, right during the beginning of the pandemic, 2020. Um, And by 20. 20, January 2020, I'd already incorporated into a, a nonprofit. So that became on the inside. And it really started as this theater class that then grew to much more. Um, and the second part of this story is uh, a woman that was in the production of Twelfth Night, Caroline Cox, uh, when she was released, sent me an email and said, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but I worked on Twelfth Night with you and I was incarcerated and it really changed my time. And I think of something that you taught me every day, do it anyway. And she said, I have so much fear and anxiety, but you inspired this idea that even if I was afraid of something, I could still try it. I could still do it. And that's what theater was for me. And that's what I've tried to make my life doing things anyway. Um, And I said to her, let's meet, let's have coffee. And so we had coffee and started talking about what this work could be and how it could grow. And pandemic was so hard for so many of us in many different ways. But when your clients are incarcerated and you can't email them, text them, call them anyway, (laughs) it suddenly made programming and teaching a weekly class more challenging. So Caroline started working with me and we started building this pen pal system where we would send in a letter through email to our caseworker who would post it in the hallway and and print out copies of it. And then the women could write us letters at our theater company and we would respond to every single one. Um, And then that grew to a book that we produced over the pandemic, um, Breaking Down Barriers. And we started teaching the same body of work over Zoom to women on the outside all over the world in a four class series format so that you and I could be creating work on light and darkness. And then I would screen share work from women who are serving time on their stories or artwork of light and darkness. And that was the context of a book that we produced, but it also then expanded into us working at the Wyoming Women's Center. We teach a weekly class for women there and also at the Youth Center, the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women. We teach there, Virginia Correctional Center for Women, and then at the Missouri Women's Eastern Reception Diagnostic and Correctional Center. So it just like blew up um, during 2021, 2022, and we were teaching sort of three to four classes daily to all of these different states that were really just sort of oddball email connections and then saying, we've heard that you're doing this work virtually, please do it. We are isolated. We need more. Mm -hmm. Um, And currently I'm sitting in Australia (laughs) in Melbourne and tomorrow we're meeting with two facilities here at a women's prison facility and then a youth um, and children's facility that we're hoping to expand our programming at. So that's the beginning of it. And Caroline, who I mentioned, who was my student inside in 2018, her and I have co-led and built almost all of this work since she's been released and she's coming up on her five years release. And then we have three other facilitators that facilitate with us that are in other parts of the United States. And one of them, Jennifer, was also incarcerated in the state of Wyoming. And upon her release, has started working with us as a facilitator 
Um, and both Caroline and Jennifer, I've been able to witness them separately walk back into different prisons than they were incarcerated in as leaders and facilitators and share their stories. And it's an amazing full circle moment for them that I get to bear witness to and watching them share their stories of hardship and how they've been rebuilding their lives has been, again, one of the greatest gifts. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit of what this has been. Yeah, powerful. Um, It's really powerful. And it's not, it's not exactly what I thought that it was when I first, um, second piece of offering it outside, you know, offering the same deep healing to women outside um, came, came as a second. It wasn't the, it, it wasn't the purpose of connecting women from inside and outside, which is what I suspected that it was when I first, at first glance, um, really the work is about, and I'm, and I'm surprised. I mean, I think this is also one of the beautiful parts of this conversation is that we do learn, um, how the system works and what these women have access to with regard to programming and, um, and, and, and I have, I mean, I would suspect that many people are like me where we just don't have any idea of this, this part, this system and what's available to these women. And so it's an, it's really remarkable. And I'm, I'm really surprised actually that there aren't more, that, that art isn't used more in this setting in as a healing. And we'll get to that in a moment because art is such a powerful tool um, for breaking down the barriers and kind of making a connection. Um, so there's right now the connection between the women on the inside and the women on the outside is uh, a comparison of uh, when you're using the art and the book um, mm-hmm. and the teachings. It's really your, is there a component of that? Like um, with this connection, um, and who are the women on the outside that are saying yes to this work? Are they women like you who are interested in feeling deeply called to serve in this way or connect in this way? Are they women who have been affected by by this story in some way? Like they have someone in their family that has been on the inside. Like who are the women that are on the outside that are saying yes to this? And then I just would love to just learn more about like this connection between the outside and the inside. I fully understand the the call that you felt you had. And, and I love the, the divine parts of this story where you got the glimpse of the mother making such a big difference in such a short amount mm. of time. You, you were witnessed in circle by someone who said, ah, your mother is here. Then, you're, mm. then you have these beautiful testimonies of the work that's happening and, um, and someone saying to you, this is the work of God, like you're doing God's work so divine Nikki how you've been guided in this so beautifully and like if we could just open ourselves and be conduits in this way and trust that we're always guided like as I witness you it's like you're really proof of that like that you're you know we can really just open ourselves to that and trust that we will be guided in the right ways if if we're open to that then we are used um this way and it's like a real it's beautiful the way in which you've been to use kind of sometimes people don't like this word, but obedient to that, like really hearing mm. that and just like feeling like I'm going to answer this call. Like I'm, I'm really, this feels right for me, but yeah. I'm so curious about who are the women on the outside that help you do this work that, that, or that say yes to, but, and I'm, I'm one of these women. So I, I can add myself to this list because I, I investigated this book and will be ordering the book. And I'm also a creative and a writer and all these things. And so is it just the artists that feel inspired to do some service or is there a bigger piece to this connection between the men and uh, the women and the women um, inside and outside? And I'm also feeling like um, there's a lot of collective healing. You've touched on this, like the, the healing that happens. It's like we're healing together. Um, mm. and so I think that's also a big piece, which we'll get to in a moment around the tools that you use to do this work because it's... Um, this the work maybe started as like I'm going to bring this teaching and this art and this work inside to see what a change I might make but then what happened was it got bigger because there's the same type of healing the same type of connection the same type of potential of what happens when we embody 
who we are and what we are and how we see the world, it's like available for everyone. That's a big, can you, can you pull something? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I'll I'll touch on the women that do this work. Um, are women that have been affected by the system. That's like one place it begins. Um, and what we really work to is like, tell your friends, tell your family that are grieving the loss of you being incarcerated, connect them with us so that we can bridge part of that gap for them. Um, there's also a class that Caroline runs. It's a bi-weekly group for women that has been infected by the system. So a lot of those are new releases that are coming out that are navigating how do I get a bus? How do I open a bank account? I've been inside for many years. Um, and then really anybody that's curious about how are women in prison and youth that we serve spending their time? What resources are they getting? What skills are they getting? You know, what, what happens in a day to day? Um, and then part three, really the women that are inside, what they're getting is connection to the outside world to, and to know that they're not alone. And to understand that we're all healing and we're all walking towards that together. Um, just because they've committed a crime doesn't mean that I haven't done anything awful in my own life. Yeah. Um, and it humanizes them. It breaks down this idea that they're a number, they're a last name. It reminds them of who they were because we talk about their childhood. We talk about sisterhood. We, we have them do assignments on mischief. And a lot of them laugh and they're like, Nikki, that's why I'm sitting in prison. And I'm like, well, great. Now you're going to have to find a new way to connect to what mischief means. And then the idea that they get to make a piece of art that you might get to read on Instagram or that 80 women in three different prisons around the US and maybe now Australia get to read that they are free and maybe they're not a published writer or artist, but then other assignments we do is we take your drawing. And we let the women in Wyoming add color and text to it. And then they send it back to their caseworker. And then I get to return it, you know, screen sharing to the original owner and say, here, look what women serving time in another state made with what you started. So there's these, there's lots of art programming. I will say that in prison facilities, there's dance that is very moving that I hear about a company called Dance to be Free a stunning nonprofit, but there are a lot of art programming um, inside prison facilities where they do the collage, they make the painting, they have some conversation about it, but that is where it lives and that is where it dies. Um, And maybe they get to share it with their families or send it out to their children's, but maybe they don't. And so both things happen. And so there's something about this work where when I lay a spiral of artwork down and they have to walk through a spiral of something that women serving time in another state made to get into the circle, they are somewhere else. You know, they're in a garden, they're transported and suddenly what they make or share or do matters because it might save somebody else today. So I think that's where our work differs and that's the power that I've seen in our work that the walls really do start to come down and they say things like, when I'm in this class, I'm not in prison. Anytime I'm out on the yard or I leave these doors, I have to put the walls up to stay alive. But there is a, a safety circle that's created and they lay out at the first class what the company agreement is going to be, what they want this room to uphold anytime they're in it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did I make some sense there? Well, I want to, I want, I do want to spend, and this wasn't on my original list of questions, but I'm, as I'm feeling into this intuitively, I'm feeling like we should probably name this or touch on this because it, it maybe is like the most obvious question that I feel like I have a sense of, but I want to, I want to answer my intuition and just like name this question, this idea of like, there, there's a big, I want to say there's maybe many people that might just forsake these people, Mm -hmm. these women, they might just say, well, they're in Mm -hmm. prison and we have all the stereotypes about that. It's like, they deserve to be there. And why would we spend any time or care? What you're speaking to is, in my opinion, and and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this if it feels like a a, a point here. It's like, this is humanity. This is collective healing. This is like, are you a part of the one or are you not a part of the one? And so that's what I witness when I witness you. It's like, wow, 
someone who said, um, this is, this is, this is my mother. This is my sister. This is my daughter. This Mm -hmm. is, we are women, we are sisters and, and I'm part of this collective energy and I want to do my part. And no matter who the woman is, they deserve at some level to have the same attention, the same care, the same witnessing, the same space, my heart, my energy, um, my attention, my praise, my love, um, and you haven't forsaken them. I would love to just have you speak on that for a moment for anybody who's listening to us, who's just like, I can feel like maybe a little bit of the judgment creeping in. And I really want to name it here because what you're doing is so remarkable. And I think as women, we, this is like the only way I think that we're going to heal the world and like, like really like in terms of the big things and my gosh, the world is really crying for this right now in terms of humanity the level of healing that we need to be able to step into like the things that we need to be able to put aside kind of Mm -hmm. come into our hearts and see each other as humans and as women um it does this touch something in you that you want to share just as part of this yeah definitely i mean uh, the thing it makes me think of is that nobody expects or wants to go to jail or prison nobody thinks they're going to end up there they do and then it's too late and then they backpedal through all the reasons that they are there and the reasons that they wish they weren't there. And then comes the grief and the shame and the embarrassment. And I think what, what I want to say is it, every woman in that room is my mother, you know, and every woman in that room could be my two daughters. You know, I, I don't know what the future has to hold. And so I think I try and look past what it is you've done and I want to see who you are. And there are so much labeling um, and stigma around felon and inmate and prisoner um, that, that every society continues to hold, even when they're released, like listening to the stories of the women that I work with that are trying to rent apartments or get jobs because they have to tick a box, you know, that says, yes, I was a felon. Yes, I was incarcerated. I mean, they can't, they can't even come to Australia where I'm living and this country was built by convicts. So, I mean, just like, let's talk about breaking down teeny pieces of the stigma. And one of the things I often say, particularly to foundations that say we believe in equity and diversity, and that's what we want to fund. And some of them, when you look at the fine print, but they don't want to serve women or men or youth that are serving time that have been put away. And we put people away in the remotest parts of our state or country so that we don't have to look at them or think about them. And Caroline often says this to me, why do you care, Nikki? Why do you care about somebody in prison? Most people barely care if it's their family member. And only then we're trying to navigate how to live without that family member. And I said, because I want to believe that if they were released and they moved into the house next to me, that I had done something to help them heal. And this, this is your work too, healed, holy, whole, right? That if I had been put away for some atrocity, that I would have had the time and the resources to learn how to better myself before I walked out the door. And I think that's what we're all doing in our homes, in our yoga classes, you know, at, at our day to day. We're trying to learn how to be better humans. And I want to believe that people value those resources enough, even if somebody is going to serve a life sentence that they might die with a little more dignity, that they might die with a little more peace or ease or having talked to their sister that maybe they had been estranged from. Because I believe that that kind of healing is possible. Um, yeah. That's, that, yeah, it's beautiful. That's what I suspect. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important <laughs> for everyone to hear that, you know, because I think there, yeah, there are, there's a, there is a big stigma and uh, mm-hmm. it means, will inspire someone mm, who came to yeah. this conversation to be a little bit more open around that. Shifting mm. gears just a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I'm imagining that because you were, you, you were very much steeped in a creative world as a creative yourself, that, that that's why the creative component is, is there. <laughs> um, but you use theater and storytelling and healing arts um, in as as your biggest tools to do this work. Um, these are these are sort of like the way in. 
um, the way in. And I love this story of um, of the first play that you did with this huge, heavy, hot skirt, <laughs> like a physical story of you sweating and bearing, like bearing the weight of being there and being witnessed. Like there's something really palpable and something really poetic about that. Um, do you use theater, storytelling, and healing arts because they provide the perfect access point for this connecting and healing? Like and when and what exactly are healing arts? What are the healing arts that you use? And I think we've talked a little bit about this healing that happens, but is it because it was a natural go-to for you that you are a creative or is there something more about um, using these things in particular that kind of touch because these are women and they're like, because there's a gnosis and a natural born, like, are we all creatives? Is it because it's con- like the creative in you connects you directly to your heart? Does it does it in its own essence break the barriers like instantly? Like you you hear mm-hmm. I'm just here to tell you a story. Let's write a poem. Um, like yeah, what what can you talk a little bit about the creative component and why is it why is this your big tool? Like why is this the thing that you use in in this program? Yeah, yeah um, thanks for that. I, I love that because I think. The first thing that came up was theater. If people understand that I'm a theater artist or that's how I make work, that can be a deterrent for so many. Like, I'm not an actor. I'm not coming into the room. Um, And I think a lot about whenever I'm teaching, am I connecting on a visual, auditory, and kinesthetic level? And those, you know, three pieces, right, that many of us teach or facilitate know helps us all learn and take information in. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm so kinesthetic. I want to be in my body all the time. I want to be on my feet. I want to be moving. Um, and that is often how I believe I learned to speak before language was my vehicle. And I, I love teaching with my friend who's a talk therapist, right? Because language is her vehicle and she could talk all day and help us heal in many ways. And then I have to say, and that was not for me. I sat through many therapist sessions with my arms crossed, you know, at telling them to F off. And then I just wanted to get out the door and go run or go walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, once I was able to be in my body as a youth, as a teen, that is when I started to process emotionally layers of trauma. And then I was able to speak them, not on my own story, but on Shakespeare's text. Mm -hmm. And then once I understood that I could survive the text and I wasn't dead at the end of a scene or a monologue, and that I'd had huge emotional experiences and I could still stand on my feet, then I wanted to share more. And then I wanted to say some part of my own story. So I think I often share that after we've done like an opening talk circle before we get on our feet, because I say that we have different avenues of how we access the heart. And for some of us, it is journaling. Some of us, it is standing on our heads. Some of us, it is we need to be in the beauty of the world or in an art gallery before we're able to feel or say what needs to be said. Um, And I think that that is something that in each of our classes, we try to provide those different avenues for people to find their way into the work. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's video. And the other thing that I really continue to aspire is that just because I'm facilitating doesn't mean that I'm the leader and I don't want to hold the answers. I want to hold the questions. And so if everybody gets to lead one movement in the circle that feels really good to them, that helps us all understand the different languages we have. And if everybody draws a stick figure and a Picasso and a Jackson Pollock and shares that, then again, we get new vocabularies of ways of being or seeing or thinking. Um, So those are what I think of when I think of creative tools Um, and that they come from inside the circle, but we also share pixie light horse and rupi kaur and we watch the giving tree the audio audio story of it and we listen to alicia keys and brandy carlisle sing and we watch the video of the two of them so there's ways that we try and pull um women into the space more and more um and then when we see the light bulb go off for somebody in the room usually the facilitators and i talk about it later on ah, so-and-so showed up today. That was what they needed. Now we know how to call them to the front of the room. Um, yeah. No, it's really beautiful. So much acceptance for, and the, like the, the level of like this witnessing 
um, when you said it's all coming from inside the circle, um, that level of holding space or witnessing or respect, I don't know exactly what it, what it feels like for me, but I'm imagining when these women have been stripped of everything and then you walk in the room and you're sitting in circle and, and there's this big permission for them to come up with the thing or for it or for the thing to come out of them and it and this acceptance for that and actually the space for that, how powerful just that piece is. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love what you just said around. Um, I'm not the one with all the answers. I'm, I, I prefer actually to sit with the questions. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what a creative does. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the process. Like it's like not about mm-hmm. coming as, as a matter of fact, as a creative, when I figure out the solution or I create the thing, I'm so bored. I'm like ready to sit with <laughs> <and ask her laughs> question. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Very much. The piece that you shared on ancestry, like, I, I don't know when that it was, it's been quite a while actually. Um, I was uh, beautifully stalking you on your Instagram just to get myself. (laughs) And that piece just like, woof, I'm going to for sure add it to the show notes because I would just love for others to witness you in that piece of of sharing. And it touched me deeply. Can you take us into this a bit with with the women on the inside um, with regard to this work, like the piece around healing ancestral or generational trauma because this feels really deep for me and is possibly really common in the work that you do for a lot of the women um you know who you're sitting with is this one of the common grounds that you focus on in your work that you see and what are some of the other core key themes that are common with the women um that you sit with in, in on the inside yeah um, I'll say that the first class we teach is on light and darkness. And so right off the bat, after introductions, we drop into the deep end. And um, almost every class starts with a brainstorm around whatever the theme is that we're covering. Um, so that is a place where we begin. And we could stay on light and darkness for eight weeks, <laughs> but we don't. And, and that ancestry class comes in in our eight class series that we teach inside facility comes in in class seven, right after we've done a class on sisterhood. And so really what they look at in that ancestry class is definitions. And then they make their own definition of what it is to them. And then we do talk about family of origin. And then the weeks prior, what have you put together about who you are today? And so people go around circle and share. And then the second part of that class is what you saw me post on Instagram is an I am identity, ancestry, sort of mad libs piece that we've created that drops women into who they are. And we ask them to be as descriptive and as shallow or as deep as pleases them. And so we go paragraph by paragraph and we'd love to have more of the women inside recorded because they're so beautiful, but we've not been allowed to do that just yet. But um, so we, we play my version and we have a couple students from Zimbabwe from years ago and we play different versions of what people have created with that same piece over the years. And, uh, and then really we ask them to continue with that piece, to take it and to read it to somebody on their unit and then to do it again a week or two weeks or something later to see what changes and what other stories come up from it. Um, But the ancestry piece really helps them both, I think, where we started of looking back at who my mom was, helps them understand what are the stories that they've walked through to get to this class, but to also be sitting in this facility. And whether they're there for life or they're walking in 10 days, helps them understand what it is they want to move towards. And that ancestry class then begins to talk about, and what is the story that you're going to continue? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really, um, beautiful. The themes, um, yeah, it's really beautiful. The themes that are, that you're working with, because I think they're so deep that there's so much permission in the exploration. Um, my next question, we, you've kind of touched on it and it's like, um, well, actually this, the second question, let's go here first. What are some of the common misconceptions about women on the inside that you feel like you'd like for everyone to know that are not true? (laughs) That they're dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, you know, I do sit in rooms with mur- murderers and, and people that have done, you know, burglaries and all sorts of atrocious things. And yet they are human beings like we are that are learning to heal and are also repairing from mistakes. And many of them, one of the most common threads that we come across when we look at the work that they're writing, what they share, and the pre and post class surveys is that many of them were not loved as children. Many of them lacked that quality of love and from, from parents or other figures in their life. And so for a lot of them, when they understand that, and I understand that, it is understandable why they have committed the crimes that they have or why addiction was something that came so easily to them as a teen. So that's something I want to say that that not all women sitting in prison are dangerous and that many of them have lacked love since the earliest ages of four or five years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it speaks to the, the really the importance of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah, how this, how it's really, there's such a, I feel such a responsibility in, in a collective sense for the healing of all of us. Like, I just feel if there's something that I can do mm-hmm. um, to help the collective, to help someone who didn't have love when they were a child, like a baby, you know, like, mm-hmm. or, or were abandoned by their parents. Um, if there's something that I can personally do um, to lean in or to, to serve in some way. Um, the next question is what I was thinking of before you've shared. I wanted to ask you about to share some success stories or to brag a bit about the profound effect that your work is having on the women um, and or and or in um, in the collective at large. And it's the program is still so new that I'm sure the data, you know, like in terms of the, like the collective at large, but um, your success stories, you know, the, the two that you've shared who are, who've joined your team and who are now walking back into a place that they, that has to be like a tremendous experience, personal experience for the two women that are now teachers to walk back into the space that they no longer have to like forcibly be in. Um, yeah. and, and in the capacity that they're doing it, um, those are two huge success stories, but do you have any other bragging to do that you'd like to share? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, Caroline and Jen, it's uh, the, the two facilitators who were formerly incarcerated. It, it's a stunning thing to witness them day to day as women leaders in this space and also to just see them navigating their own personal lives like all of us with triumphs and failures and to just continue to show up 100% in these rooms where women need us to show up consistently, you know. Um, but But I will brag a tiny bit about AJ it was a woman that we worked with inside the Missouri facility and she walked in and I sort of, sort of, you know, resentful and like, what is this? Not curious, but also, you know, shackles up and thought she was walking into a creative writing class and a class, you know, on the inside that was going to set her up for success on the outside. And then understood that it was going to be sort of a deep healing space where she was going to have to talk, show up vulnerably and also create a bunch of artwork. And sort of in the first class laughed and said, I'm not an artist. And I said, you know what? Neither are we. We are all just trying to, to do what we can. And um, she started drawing and writing beautifully um, and laughing about it in the first couple of classes. And then she got more serious about it. And one of the things that she shared in the class was that she didn't know that she could draw and that this class was allowing her the space to do that. And then when she was released and she's at our outside monthly classes now, she said she wrote us an email and said, I wanted to tell you that I started drawing when I was in prison because of your class. And she said, and one of the things that I'm doing now is I'm publishing a book with my daughter and we're writing and drawing it together. And it's books about kids that have parents that are incarcerated that are getting bullied. And it's looking at how to break down this aspect of bullying that happens when a parent or a family figure is incarcerated from the child's perspective and the adult's perspective. So, you know, I mean, here's this woman that we knew in class who was just a wonderful, funny person. And now it's sort of changed her life in terms of what she's doing with her daughter. And so her family has been impacted and how she's making a life for herself. Yeah, the ripple effect is just like we, you, you get to see the ripple effect. <laughs> Women are so beautifully staying in touch and following up with mm-hmm. you the impact that you've made. 
But this is, you know, the cliche, like you don't know how far your reach is because the ripple effect of each one of our lives, especially if we're um, in in service um, or mm-hmm. we're wanting to be part of the collective healing, like we, you just have no sense really of how far the ripple effect goes. Um, yeah. And that's a beautiful story. And wow, 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 what a transformation. Um, mm. I, I was a high school English teacher and gifted to teach the 30 or 40 most at-risk students um, uh, who the school system had identified were not going to graduate. So at-risk, you know, and Mm -hmm. as an at-risk, labeled an at-risk student myself, I was kind of the perfect teacher um, for this. Mm. And so I know this, I know this like hands folded, you know, energy closed off. Like, you know, sort of like, um, not sort of suspicious of what's, what's mm-hmm. happening. Then once you realize it's not the plan you thought, like, I, I, I know this, this energy, I've, I've, I've seen it. And, um, and just because I have that experience, um, I also can just feel how big, um, that is to kind of start th- there and then where she is now, um, co-creating this beautiful gift of healing to the world mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. really really that is a beautiful brag <laughs> <That's> mm. a- <laughs> um, my last question before we wrap up is really a personal question like how how does this work serve as a teacher or healer or expander for you personally mm. yeah i'm gonna just mm. to just go here for a moment and just because we're not isolated we're all part of the we're all part of the system. And I say this often as I sit with women, I have the great honor of guiding women into their hearts and holding space for private clients. And it's the deepest and most beautiful work that I've ever done in my life. And each one of these sisters is a great reflection for me and teacher for me. We're we're not isolated. And just Mm -hmm. because we're in potentially a more privileged situation, certainly in your case, because you are free in like a real basic sense, right? And you're you're going into the space. It doesn't, and it's like you said, I'm not, I'm not facilitating, I'm sitting with questions, but it doesn't mean that we're not walking out of these experiences feeling like, whoa, who was the student and who was the teacher here? Because I just got like the most powerful, like it just happened in a few sessions for me yesterday and I'm just on my knees about it. It's like, it's like so beautiful when you put yourself mm-hmm. in positions to connect heart to heart and do deep healing. Um, yeah, I would love to just know how this work has been a teacher or a healer or expander for you personally. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say um, the eight week session is something, you know, that was a brainchild of mine of what would I need and what would take me on the journey. And yet one of the beliefs we all have working together as facilitators is that I don't, know my experience and and I don't know your experience. And so any homework that we offer the women, we also do the homework each week. And so for many, many years now, I've gotten to write about my own light and darkness week after week. And then I've been able to create acts of mischief in my life week after week. And I've examined, you know, my sisterhood and written letters to sisters in my life and and looked at my own ancestry and then tried to repair wounds, you know, from that. So the work continues and Caroline and Jan and Dee and Atieno who show up to do the work with me often will say that sometimes we show up to facilitate, but we're actually here because we need the healing circle too. Um, and so I think that's what I get from it week after week. I learn something about myself and I learn way more about the world and how I view it being in these rooms. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. At the end of every episode, I like to ask the same three questions um, to every guest as we wrap up. And the first one is, which do you relate to the most whole, healed or holy and why? I'm going to say healing because <laughs> I think that for me, it's a continual journey. Um, and I often come back to a Rupi Kaur piece where she says, I woke up thinking the work was done. How naive to think that healing was that easy. Healing is everyday work. Uh, and it's my work. And uh, that's just something that I believe that every day I'm chip, chip, chipping away at it. 
So healing. Yeah, beautiful. A book that you've that you love or that you have gifted the most? The Little Prince. <laughs> oh, um, I do too. It, it's funny. I remember reading it years ago and thinking, this is not a child's book. This is not for kids. <laughs> and then just like going back to it year after year and then just one year buying it for everybody that had a birthday or that I was, you know, spreading Christmas cheer to. It was, it's so layered with how to care for ourselves and other people and the world. Um, yeah. And how we interact with it. So the little print states that, that the children's books have the biggest lessons for us adults. Mm-hmm. As I read books to my little niece, I'm like, wow, that that's a <laughs> exactly the same thing. That is not a children's book. That's a that's a message for me. Uh, yeah. A quote or a mantra that you love or that guides you. Breathe as though your life depended upon it. Mm, beautiful. Can you please share the ways that listeners can support you or? and or become involved with on the inside if there's anything happening in your world right now where you're needing our support or calling in a certain energy or a certain someone yeah i would say visit our website on the inside dot space um, or go to our instagram page which is on the inside to the number two um and see what we're doing we definitely are working towards hiring more facilitators. A lot of our priority with facilitators is that they are women that have been impacted by the system in some way. Um, and and to, you know, take a class with us on the outside, we offer a four class series. Um, and then once you've taken that, you can join a monthly group with women sort of from eight countries at this time. Uh, and I think there's like 75 women at this point that have been through that outside class series. So it's a real fun hodgepodge of people that show up in the monthly classes. And throughout it all, we're sharing work from women inside and women outside. So it's a great way to um, meet the facilitators that are doing the work inside, but also to get to know the women we're serving inside and those that are being released. Yeah. And are you, so this is your full-time job now. You're, this is your full-time and are you fully, it's a nonprofit. So you're fully funded and supported by entities and foundations. Like, are you feeling like you're fully supported in this work? Which I I would love for you to say yes. And I would love to know that this work is going on. It is, we we are in need of funding. I will say that we are in need of funding. Um, We are all paid hourly and we are paid very minimum wage to do this work. There's two of us that constantly write grants. Um, We're writing a grant a week within the United States and beyond. Um, And we're seeking out foundations and individuals. Our monthly donors are great ways to keep us floating. Um, And I, I swear we stretch every single penny out as we spread resources, send folders and art supplies to all these facilities. Sometimes we hand deliver them in our carry-ons to save money on postage. So (laughs) that is a great way to support us, to become a monthly donor and join us that way. Yeah. And maybe this is a conversation for another time, but I'm, I would, I would love to know that the U S government or the, the governments are making, making some funds available for programming like this. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that if, if that's the case, that if there's a steady stream in your direction. It's really important. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we've been seeking out mostly arts funding, but are now steering towards more healthcare funding to look at how we're reducing recidivism and shifting the emotional ecology of prison facilities. Like so. wellness, mental mental health. Like totally, yes. so important right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you ser- you're serving women and these are in women, women's only prisons, right? At the moment. Women and then youth also just in the state of Wyoming currently. And we're currently working on that in Australia. And, and the youth is co-ed or it's young women? Just women. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you for the work that you do for the ways that your life is touching others for the better, for making the world a more kind, more beautiful and more loving place. 
And thank you for being here with me today, Nikki, and sharing your story. Like, I just, I love you instantly. And I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to follow up with you personally because a few things um, came forward very clearly for me in just like ways in which I want to support you. And I hope that anyone listening who felt a little tingle in their heart or felt like their heart blast open in your direction that they will act on that and support you too because the world needs more Nikki Weavers and mm -hmm. on the inside um, work and, and like really bringing down the walls and connecting with each other and remembering that we're all sisters and mothers mm -hmm. Yeah, thank, you. thank you so much. Yeah, such a gift to be with you and uh, just thankful that our lives crossed. And I hope this is just the beginning of, of more connection and yeah, time together. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me that we have shared this moment of deep conversation. If you feel inspired or touched by something in this episode, please leave a comment and or a review. For more in all the ways, please find me at Whole Healed Holy on Instagram and at www.patricia-russo.com on the web. Stay close, please, and know that you are whole, you are healed, and you are holy. I love you. Until next time.